Welcome to Overflowing Bookshelves, a podcast for people who love the written word. Could you spend hours browsing through a bookstore? Is your happy place curled up under a blanket with a good book, or perhaps writing a story of your own? Are you constantly adding to your to-be-read list, even though your bookshelves are already overflowing? If so, this podcast is for you. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with published authors about their creative processes, paths to publication, and advice for living your most fruitful and inspired life. I'm your host, Dallas Woodburn, and I am absolutely delighted that you are here with us today. I am the author of the short story collection, Woman Running Late in a Dress, and the YA novel, The Best Week That Never Happened. I'm also a professional book coach, and I am passionate about helping people give birth to their own unique stories. You can connect with me at my website, dallaswoodburnauthor.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at dallaswoodburnauthor. Without further ado, let's dive into today's interview. Jim and Stephanie Krepfel are a husband and wife team who write novels and stories of mystery and adventure from their rustic cabin in the Rocky Mountains. They regularly speak at writers' conferences, universities, and high schools to help others achieve their writing dreams. Their debut YA novel, Merged, was recommended by Kirkus and has received other rave reviews. The science fiction novel centers around seven of our country's most gifted teenagers who will become Nobels, hosts for the implantation of brilliant mentor minds in an effort to accelerate human progress. But as the line between what's possible and what's right draws ever blurrier, the teens discover everything has a cost. It is my pleasure to welcome Jim and Stephanie to the podcast today, and I think you will really love our conversation. Well, thank you both so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you. Like I was mentioning to you before I hit record, I'm a huge fan of your debut novel, Merged, and I'm really excited just to hear a little bit more behind the scenes about that. But maybe we could start off by just hearing about your writing journey, how um, you became writers, your background, anything you would like to share about that. Well, first, I'd just like to thank you so much, Dallas, for including us. Um, This is a big honor because we've been following your other podcasts, and we just think you did a great job. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Can't wait for your next book coming out. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited, too. I guess we started writing from the first time we met. We knew we would be writers at some point. And then the Great Recession hit, and uh, we wound up both at the same time without jobs, which was unusual. And uh, we did the most naive and romantic thing you can imagine. We had some friends down in Florida with a a guest house on the beach. And we said, well, let's just go down there and write a book. Wow. Like out of a movie. (laughs) We were only there for a month to really figure out how to write a book. We'd never written one before. And so um, then we got jobs again and did that whole thing and woke up at five in the morning to write and wrote at night after work. And at some point we looked at each other. We had a little cabin up in the Rocky Mountains and we said, we are just not happy in our lives. Let's 
take a little break and let's really get serious about writing. So we sold our house down in Denver and we moved up to our tiny little 700 square foot cabin up in the Rocky Mountains and uh, spent the next couple of years learning how to write a book and writing a lot of manuscripts and learning how what rejection is like and all that yeah. good stuff. And how to write together. That, that was a big one. How to hear. And you have to learn that you push your ego out of the way and keep your voices away from you while you're writing. Uh, your own voice and your partner's voice. Yeah, that is so... I would love to hear a little bit more about your process for collaborating together because that is something that I was thinking about, Jim, that you mentioned. Like, I think all writers have our own internal critic. And then when you're collaborating with someone else, I would imagine that it's it's both good and bad. So maybe you have their criticism, but then you also, hopefully, if it's a rich partnership, you have them, their supportive, encouraging voice as well. But I would love to hear a little bit more about how your process is um, creatively working together. Through a lot of mistakes, what we learned, the biggest thing we have to do is we have to plot the book pretty in detail. Um, because if we are going to be splitting up the duty, we both have to really understand where the story is going, who these characters are, um, where their flaws are, where their strengths are. So um, after many mistakes, um, what we, we have a big bulletin board, a court board. We use the old-fashioned cards. We've tried every other method, but for us, having that visual there helps us so much. And we literally spend couple weeks plotting out the book card by card by card by card. And um, then what we learned is um, you can't write the first draft together. So divide and conquer and say, you take these chapters, I take these chapters. Because again, you like you said, you have your own critic voice. You don't need the second critic voice in your head. So we just let each other write the first draft and we check in with each other and say, hey, what do you think of this? And all that kind of stuff. But then when we get to the editing, we literally just start handing each other's pages, handing each other's chapters. And by the time we get to the book uh, at the end, when we are near the final draft, we literally don't know what we wrote anymore. Wow. So it really does become, well, to play off your title, it becomes merged. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are, are merged has a two points of view, a boy and a girl. And everyone assumes that Jim wrote the boy mm-hmm. and I wrote the girl. And uh, the way we really divided it is I'm better with dialogue and Jim is better with action scenes mm-hmm. and with lots of background. So when we know a chapter is going to be a lot of dialogue, I take it when we know something in really fun and exciting has to happen, chase scenes and things like that. That's one's Jim's takes. That is so interesting. And um, it also makes me think of some of the benefits of working together. So just being able to have someone else who you can talk through the story with, who keeps you accountable, um, and who you have yourself as an editor, but then also your writing partner that helps edit your work. And I just love that you just really seem to have such a wonderful collaboration, just the way that you talk about the process. It seems like such a such a positive um, thing. Yeah. And communication is so important. We, we live on a lake and it takes almost an hour to walk around the lake. And we have to do that with our dog a couple of times a day. So in the morning, if we get stuck or we're not sure where the story is going to go a chapter or two beyond, um, 
we'll have that hour and it's the perfect amount of time to communicate and then get back to the desk. Uh, we don't sit and try to hammer something out if we don't know where it's going. Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's great advice for anyone listening. If I think that also um, things like exercise, walking for me, if I'm doing something else like cooking or sometimes taking a shower, that seems like that's when a lot of my best ideas come. It's not necessarily when I'm at the keyboard, like trying to hammer things out. We talked about give um, writers some advice is give yourself some space. Um, I think what writer's block is really about is you're trying too hard to be brilliant. So like you say, you know, take that shower, have a nice lunch, um, take the walk, because your brain is working in the background. And when you do finally sit down at the computer, you've solved it. Um, you can't make yourself solve it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Your subconscious working. Yeah. yeah you, you can sit there and be stuck and stuck. And then if, if you go and let your, your brain work on it while you're doing something else, it's amazing how often you come back to it and it just starts flowing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I definitely have had those experiences too. And it's much more fun than just trying to like beat your head against the wall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I would love to hear a little bit more about Merged in particular. I'm so curious about how this idea was sparked and kind of how the book um, was brought to life. I would love anything you want to share about that. We had written some other books that we love, of course, and um, they didn't get picked up. Um, we did get an agent and they, we had some publishers look at it, but they just, they, I don't think they were a big enough idea. And I, I think for, a, for the first time you were, without being a published author, your first book has to be so much better than people who are already published because you're breaking in and you're not proven. And so you have to have a really big idea. So we were trying to find that big idea. And um, what happened is three things at one time is um, an older gentleman friend of ours was at uh, in hospice. It was, he was at the end of his life. And he started telling all these stories about his life that no one had ever heard about before. And um, we were like, wow, you know, how tragic that he had this whole life and no one really knew about it. Uh, the next thing is, and it's kind of silly, but uh, friends of ours had an old dog die. and they. For the last year, they were so busy taking care of this dog, they didn't get to live their life. And we've had to have old dogs put down too. And you kind of lose your life during that time. Mm -hmm. The third thing that happened a few years ago, there was a story of a young girl in her young 20s who had brain cancer and she wanted to die on her own. So she moved up to the Northwest so she could die on her own terms. And all these things happened within a week of each other. And it made us start thinking about, what if you had more time? What could you accomplish? But the key was you had to have a healthy body. It, being 95 years old, you can't do what you want to do. So how do you get your youth back so you can have another lifetime to continue this important work? And then it escalated. But what if you were trying to cure cancer? Or what if you're trying to find a cure for renewable energy and all this other stuff? So we said, wow, that would be even more important to have more time. And that's how the story of Merch kind of started coming together. Wow. That is so interesting. I definitely, I, I remember when um, in, in the news when that woman decided to end her life on, the own ter- on her own terms. And I love how those other things happened around the same time that it seems like these, it wasn't just one spark of inspiration. It was like these multiple things that came together um, at 
just the right time for this idea to take shape. Was that similar to the other books that you've written where it was kind of multiple multiple ideas coming together or did those did those get sparked differently? Those, I think they were just an idea that came to us uh, on a hike in the mountains. The previous two books we wrote were middle grade um, and with, with just a touch of magical realism. Wonderful books. Uh, just, <laughs> Who loves their old books, right? <laughs> love them. But uh, they weren't uh, big enough ideas to get uh, sold to a publisher. One day they'll come out. I've heard a lot of authors say that their debut book isn't necessarily the first one that they wrote. And so sometimes it goes backwards and books that they wrote previously end up coming out later. So I bet that will happen with your books. Well, I'm sure with yours too, because I'm sure you have a drawer with some other books in there too. (laughs) I do. Yes. And I know what you mean about feeling very fondly towards them and hoping that they see the light of day sometime. Yes. Yeah. And you know, Malcolm Gladwell says you need to put 10,000 hours into anything to be great. And uh, we've got a stack of manuscripts, which are our 10,000 hours. And hopefully we're on our way there. Yes. Yeah. Well, so we talked a little bit about your past as writers. I would love to hear what you're working on now. I know that Merge is released and I'm sure that's a big part of your day is um, promoting Merge. But do you have some other writing projects um, that you're working on as well? Yes, we were lucky enough that our publisher did like our manuscript or our first 50 pages of the sequel, and we're calling it Remerged. So uh, yeah, so we are diligently and furiously uh, writing the first draft of that because uh, they want it uh, early winter to see at least the first draft. And uh, that's been really fun. We've never written a sequel before. And uh, it's such a different experience in that you already know your characters, you know their quirks, you know their voice. So uh, it's almost like refinding your friends again when you get to continue their story on and you know, trying to figure out how else you torture them in the next book. You know? <laughs> when you originally came up with the idea for Merged, were you envisioning that it would be a standalone or did you think that maybe it would have a sequel? Well, I think we thought it would have a sequel. We, our agent loved the idea and we were surprised our agent even asked, what else do you have? <laughs> And we love the idea. And it, it's almost set up that it could be six or seven books. If you focused on one of the characters, say Stryker or Anna, and made them the key part of the story. So we, we knew there was the potential for at least another book, if not more. It's set up for a sequel, but they stop in the middle of a cliffhanger. They don't resolve anything. And so... You have to wait a year and a half, two years to get the next book. Um, we were, it was really important to us that we had a real ending, though. So if we never did write the sequel, people at least felt like, okay, I have a real ending. I can close the book and sleep at night and not you know, sit there and wonder what's going on. Yes. And I, that's why I was um, curious about if when you envisioned it, if you imagined it as going on longer, because that is one thing I love about your book that um, people listening, the sequel isn't available yet, but I do feel like Merge reads as a complete story on its own, that it is very satisfying. Um, it's not like you were saying, Stephanie, where you, you feel so frustrated at the end, like 
you I just keep looking for more pages because you think, ah, you know, how could it be ending here? I have to wait for the next book. So I do love that about your book that I can definitely see it, the story continuing on, but it is still to me very satisfying um, the ending that we do get in. Thank you. We really worked hard on that. Is there any other um, advice? I know we talked a little bit about advice for collaborating um, as writers. Is there any other advice that you have for um, writers that are starting out? Maybe if you look back at yourselves, you know, when you were first starting um, out as writers, just any words of encouragement or advice that you would like to give to listeners? Writing side, get a notebook and we, we don't have MFAs. Uh, I did go back and take English classes at college, and now we speak in those classes. But I would go to the, the Newberries and the Prince Award winners, and I'd take a significant chapter, say the plot point one or the first chapter, and, and I would write it out, printing by hand, and then I'd look at it. You know, How did they use adverbs? How did they incorporate humor? How did they set hooks? You know, some of these wonderful books, how, how did they suggest love beginning to occur? Uh, and, and that was really a great education for me. When you're trying to figure out the genre that you're writing in, take your, those books and truly analyze what is the age of the character? What is the dialogue they're using? Um, what kind of humor is it? Is it, you know, dumb boy fart jokes or is it a higher level humor? Um, and we really had, we kept a spreadsheet, our spreadsheet, we probably have a hundred books in there and really analyze how long are each of the chapters, how long, how many pages is the book? Because especially as you're starting out, you have to fit in this, um, this mold that the agents and the publishers expect, um, for your first book. Uh, you want to say it's a creative process, but it's also very, very analytical. There has to be a certain word count. Um, there has to be a certain number of pages per book, especially middle grade. You don't want a 20 page chapter. That's not how middle graders read. You want it to be almost, you know, the two and three page quick, quick, quick read so that you pick up your reluctant readers and they aren't intimidated by this, but really do your research of what's out there right now, but not to follow the genre. That's not what you're trying to do because again, once you, when a publisher buys your book, your book is not coming out for a couple of years. So, you know, if, you know, the olden days vampires were hot, don't follow the vampires, follow what you want to write because you're going to be writing this book for a long time and you better love your characters and you better love the story. Yes, that is such great advice. I love the idea of, you know, studying the books that are out there Newbery Award winners, Prince Award winners, books that have kind of stood the test of time and then also being analytical and using uh, those books as your own classroom of sorts. I definitely agree with you that you don't need to, um, I think it's great to take formal classes if that is something that appeals to you, but also being able to do your own homework and, you know, kind of picking apart those books. I think it can also be very um, empowering because um, it, it helps you see what about those books that you love kind of the heart of them and and what makes them tick and how did the author do this? And it's sort of like getting into that, that mystery of how they were able to put that story together. So I think that is such wonderful advice um, for both aspiring writers and new writers, but also people who have been writing for a while too. I mean, I think we can all 
use a refresher sometimes with not reading only as readers, but also reading as, as writers analytically. That's wonderful. And I would absolutely suggest find your tribe. They're out there. Well, you know, the writing conferences, SCBWI for us. Writers are so wonderful and so generous. Um, it's not like going to, say, a business conference or uh, something like that or a trade show. It's not competitive. People love to help each other in the writing field. It's so hard when you're on your own. It, it's a solitary thing. We, we're very lucky. We get to get, do it together. But um, someone who sits in a room for a year writing a book, it can get discouraging. So you need your people. And they're out there. You can find them. Also, how you find your agents. You need to go before the book is done because that's where you learn so much. And they offer great classes on everything from the craft of writing to the business of writing, how to write a, a query letter, all that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot of them are very affordable, just a few hundred dollars. So find one in your local town and it will be such a different experience when you realize you're not the only weirdo that likes to sit in a room for a year by themselves. <laughs> Yes, it's so true. Well, that's the perfect place to end, I think, with the idea of finding community, finding our tribe. That's one reason I started this podcast. I'm really hoping that people listening feel more a part of community and um, book lovers and writers. Uh, could you share the best way for listeners to get in touch with you, find your books, follow you, connect with you? Yes, we have a website, jimandstephbooks.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, our publisher is Month Nine Books, and they have a wonderful website. We, uh, if you're in Colorado, we speak often at colleges and high schools, and I'm sure we'll see anyone out there. It, it, you know, as I mentioned about conferences, if you see us somewhere, come up and say hi. We'd love to meet you. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. I loved having you. Thank you, Dallas. It was a joy. Thank you so much for spending time with me today on Overflowing Bookshelves. If you enjoy this podcast, it would mean so much if you take a few minutes to write a review on iTunes or Stitcher to help other writers and book lovers find out about us. If you are kind enough to share this episode on social media, be sure to tag me at Dallas Woodburn Author on Instagram or Facebook. I love to surprise my listeners with fun prizes like free books and other literary swag. Also, I would love to hear your thoughts on the show and your ideas for future guests. Please visit my website, DallasWoodburnAuthor.com to connect with me and offer your suggestions. Until next time, happy reading.